Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You've probably heard the expression, moving from the sublime to the ridiculous. Uh, Today on Pentecost, I'll turn that around. Some of you might know that I enjoy doing magic shows and trying to entertain people as a magician. And uh, sometime, I will wear this hat. Uh, somebody, somebody was making fun of me, and I said, hey, this is my wizard's hat. And they said, well, that may be me, but you look like a dunce. <laughs> I can go there. Um, but you see these little flames all around the, around the edge. So going on the day of Pentecost, going from the ridiculous to the sublime... We, the, we have the name of Jesus, and with Jesus comes his partner, the Holy Spirit. They're the twin missionaries from the Father, and the Holy Spirit always witnesses to Jesus, and Jesus continues to breathe out the Holy Spirit onto his people and his church for the ministry to the world. And next Sunday will be Trinity Sunday. So, here on the day of Pentecost, I'd like to, uh, I I just want to say in that context that with Jesus comes the Holy Spirit, Pentecost is costly because it took Jesus' death on the cross not only to deliver us from all our sins, but that's part of the process by which he pours out the Holy Spirit. Jesus became incarnate, and in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit becomes incarnate and is with us in a new and personal way. I want to hold up two pictures of Pentecost today. One is a big picture, and secondly, a more personal, individual picture of Pentecost. When we look at the big picture, we hear from the book of Acts this morning, Peter proclaiming the gospel and, and among other things, saying, the Lord says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. One of the meanings of that, we hear a lot about globalism, right? For Christians... Globalism is Pentecost. God's globalism is Pentecost. Pentecost is the healing of identity politics. A lot of us yearn to have a healing from identity politics. So that's, that's a, a huge, huge historic vision. I have some handouts that I just, not many, just to give to a couple people. I want to I invite people in terms of the big picture to, to read and study about the witness to Pentecost through, through the centuries and up into contemporary life. Here's a little book, Our Witness, by T.L. Osborne. Some of us in Tulsa may remember T.L. He died in 2013. I sometimes go to International Gospel Center 
and worship there. And in reading this and hearing their witness, you know, they, he went around the world with his wife, Daisy, and their little girl, LaDonna, who's now 72, who's the bishop of 600 congregations around the world. And they, they will prepare a year in advance, and 20,000, 25,000 people will show up for a week, and he would preach the gospel. Basically, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. He's here, and he wants to heal you. And hundreds and hundreds of people in Uganda and Nigeria and Indonesia and Colombia and Ukraine and Europe are healed. They're not just being healed like of a broken arm or a sprained ankle. They're healed. New Testament healings. Uh, healings of cancer, of blindness, of crippledness. You know, you got all these deals where they're bringing all their crutches up to the, to the platform, and it's a chaos of miracles. So, I, I share this with. Would you, would you like a copy of T. L. Osborne's Our Witness? Here you go, and pass it on if you don't. You know, if it's not doesn't speak to you, but it's, you know, your eyes start rolling back in the back of your head. Here's another chapter. Here's another chapter. Here's another chapter of hundreds of healings. And he does that simply from preaching the gospel. I want to say then move into, uh, into our own Anglican heritage. There's a man named Andrew White who is still living. He was very active in the 80s and 90s in Jerusalem and in Israel and uh, the, all the Middle East problems. But he got a call to go to Baghdad, which he did. And he's, he, they revived the congregation in Baghdad and um, he started a, a health clinic, which was a joint mission between Christians and Muslims. And in this book, Faith Under Fire, What the Middle East Conflict Has Told Me About God, I want to sh- show you a picture. You might not all be able to see it. If you, can, if you can see this picture, you see that cloud? That's a funeral procession in Baghdad in a neighborhood that had been bombed. The cloud is the Shekinah glory that we hear about in the Old Testament that flows across the land. And in this book, he talks about seeing the glory of the Holy Spirit over the Tigris River all the time. He also talks about Muslims waking up in the middle of the night, seeing the risen Christ in dreams. And then they go talk to Christians, and they know that's dangerous for them because you will be killed if you... Uh, convert away from, from Islam. And he talks beautifully, sweetly about the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he feels are the tools of the church, particularly in that setting. Uh, this book's a little hard to get now, but I can get you some more. Mike, would you like one of these? Would you like this one? Andrew White. I've met him, I've met him twice. He gave the uh, commencement uh, address at ORU in 2017. Uh, he's kind of, he has some illnesses, but he, he's a very sweet man, and he, he's just straightforwardly reporting about the manifestations of, of the Holy Spirit, the Pentecostal reality that is part of their life. Now, the Iraqis told him he had to go back to Jerusalem because they would no longer, he couldn't protect him anymore. That was maybe about, maybe three years ago. On the front of the book, you see him, he's wearing a flak jacket, <laughs> Then another is, is part of the, the, the historical background of Christians witnessing to the life of Pentecost. And here's a little pamphlet I put together 
which lists a lot of Anglicans all through the centuries up into the 20th, 21st century who are talking about the Holy Spirit. Would you like one of these? And here, I'll give you another one out here. There you go. Um, just to say that our own tradition has these beautiful uh, witnesses to the reality of the life of the Holy Spirit. And then one other handout about, again, the big, the big picture. It's good, like in that one in particular, to study to, because we might not hear about this a lot necessarily in some of our congregations. The Roman Catholics, starting with the popes in Vatican II, uh, they, they realized the renewal of Pentecost is in fact happening. This beautiful scholar named Killian MacDonald and he's got this little pamphlet on fanning the flame. What does baptism and the Holy Spirit have to do with Christian initiation? I hand these out like, like Hershey bars. Uh, <laughs> and um, he, uh, he talks about the whole span of history, particularly about baptism in the Holy Spirit, awakening consciously in our bodies and our minds, our hearts, to, to the flow and the, the reality of the Holy Spirit. And see, the Roman Catholics in particular coined a beautiful term. Some of us remember back in the 60s and 70s, there's a thing called the charismatic movement. And that's when people were experiencing these things. But the Roman Catholics said, no, no, don't call it a movement. This is the new and eternal Pentecost, which helps us see historically the big picture that Pentecost, just like Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Holy Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Pentecost is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are denominational cultures, LCMS Lutherans, uh, many Baptists who say, no, after the New Testament, no more gifts, no more manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And they're, they're pretty rigid about that. But that's not true. It's not true. So that's a, a little flavor of, say, Pentecost in the big historic picture, the new and eternal Pentecost that is the new reality. Some people say the new creation when Pentecost came, beyond the first creation. Now, if we look then at the second picture of uh, Pentecost at the personal level or the individual level, we place that in the context at the personal level of baptism. There is one baptism, but within the one baptism there are three existential, experiential awakenings to consciousness, namely to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father, experientially. Uh, the evangelicals have kind of majored in bringing people to Christ as an experience in adult life. Charismatic Pentecostal Christians have majored in bringing people to awakening to baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the sacramental traditions, Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Anglicans, Episcopalians, have majored in the baptism into the Father, which is baptism of suffering. Like Jesus, you lay down your life going to the Father, as he did, 
And we do that in the baptism of suffering where we lay down our lives in commitment to what we've known in Jesus and the Holy Spirit so that brothers and sisters may come into awareness of Jesus Christ and to awareness and ministries in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In our tradition, see, we do infant baptism, which lays upon us the challenge of how do we bring people perhaps at confirmation when the bishop lays hands on us. That's the time, the season, the sacrament in which we are now to come into consciousness of what has taken place in us in baptism, knowing Jesus, knowing the Holy Spirit, knowing the Father. It's a nice analogy in uh, the Plains Indians. They do, they do what's called a vision quest when the young people come into uh, uh, adolescent life. They say, now you go out, make a medicine wheel, you know, and do, do a sweat lodge, and you wait there. You've heard as a young person in, in your families about the Holy Spirit, the Great Spirit, but now by yourself with your medicine wheel and your sweat lodge, you come to know the Great Spirit personally, and you receive your medicine powers. You receive your medicine powers when you receive your holy name, sacred name. And medicine powers for Christians, gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a, a frame because we, we haven't really had a lot of expectancy, I don't think, uh, in our culture and the congregations. When we're confirmed... Yeah, we might fall down on the floor. We might come into praying in tongues. We might come into prophecy. We might get heat in our hands. When you're with T.L. Osborne's people, there's an there's a increased expectancy in that congregation. And like I say, you go around the world and hundreds and hundreds of people are New Testament healed. And I, we do little uh, times in our, at, here at our church, people back in the chapel lay hands and pray for healing. And I, I think we should raise, raise our expectancy because when some healings happen, they start getting attention and say, well, look, I want to I put my, my feet in those waters too. The thing about um, Jesus and Pentecost, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, Je Jesus is the model charismatic. You see that? You know, uh, Thomas Kempis wrote that book, The Imitation of Christ, back in the Middle Ages. If we are his disciples and imitating him, we go about practicing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So miracles, signs, and wonders can happen. And yes, I say that. And it's not just in theory. And I think it's good to be in charismatic prayer meetings where you get to practice these things safely. And you go, oh, oh. Oh, and uh, gentle, and you're not shoving the dove, you're not pushing these things, but we put ourselves in those waters. Jesus is the model charismatic for us. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, yes, in, in the book of Acts, it does say, you know, these people are drunk, they're intoxicated. <clears throat> if you have an experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit, you didn't start it, you can't stop it. It's an ecstatic religious experience which fills your body unmistakably, your heart, spirit, mind. Uh, it's like you're filled with light. 
And that's, that's for everyone. It's simply a conscious awakening to what has taken place in, in baptism. And it is the Christian's personal experience of Jesus' transfiguration that we participate in Jesus' transfiguration and we too are filled with light. And you read the saints. The reason they're saints is because they're spirit-filled Christians, to use that term. You understand what I'm saying? And most of the saints, like Seraphim of Serov, Russian, 19th century, he lived out in the woods for, I don't know, 25 years, became good friends with a local bear. And um, when he came out of solitude, he went around to the villages there around Seraphim, and healings were happening all around him when he would lay hands on people and bring, bring the Spirit to people. Uh, the saints, our folks just like you and me, are Spirit-filled Christians who know what it's like to have participated in Jesus' transfiguration. Now, I, I want to say in this context that contemplative prayer The prayer tongue, the prayer tongue, praying in a tongue, spiritual language from the heart, is voiced contemplation. It's giving expression to the contemplative state verbally. And just as evangelism is not complete until there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's one thing to accept Jesus in your mind. Uh, have a will, yes, I'd like to be his disciple. It's another thing to receive his Holy Spirit and move into discipleship in that way. So, contemplative prayer is not complete until we come out into the gifts of the Spirit as ministries to other people. Uh, there's a little bit of a story uh, about the prayer tongue. If you want to catch a squirrel, you climb up a tree and make sounds like a nut. <laughs> and the reason we, you know, the priest holds his hands up at the altar. We hold our hands up in prayer so the Holy Spirit will flow down our hands and arms into our hearts and go past our heads. And when we're praying in the Spirit, we hold our hands up because we want the language of the heart to come up out through our hands, up into, into the heavenlies. And I don't say this as a critique of the mind. I just know personally the longest distance in the world is the 14 inches from the head to the heart. And that's when we know Jesus, or where we know Jesus, or often how we know Jesus. We see him. He shows us a vision of himself. Uh, many people witness to that. And we receive this this really indescribable infilling of what has already taken place. We're baptized in the Spirit, but it's a conscious awakening to the movement activity of the Holy Spirit. So in a few moments, we'll, we'll participate in a renewal of baptism, and you might also add that as a renewal of confirmation if you want to stay at the altar and receive prayer for that. And um, you, might, you might consider this beautiful little prayer either today or ongoing. I, I remember when I first learned this, 
come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to close by inviting us to sing uh, a couple of stanzas of the ordination hymn that some of you will remember. Uh, we will often sing that at ordination of deacons, priests, and, and bishops. But you know the confirmation is the ordination of the laity. We, I, I don't know if you've all, you know, if you've heard that, that when the bishop lays hands on us, it's, it's our own ordination uh, into, into ministry. And here's how that beautiful song goes. And I'll sing it a couple of stanzas and join with me at the end if you'd like to. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire. Enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy ninefold gifts impart. Thy sweet anointing from above is comfort, life, and fire of love. Come, Holy Ghost, our souls inspire, enlighten with celestial fire. Thou the anointing spirit art, who dost thy sevenfold gifts impart, Thy sweet anointing is a good solo, isn't it? From above is comfort, life, and fire of love. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org. And peace be with you.